Alright, this is the Unnecessary Podcast. Let's lower that sweet fucking music. That's Chuck Mangione. Oh, and that's Lee. What's up, Lee? Oh, what's up? <laughs> Lee, do you know Chuck Mangione's Feel So Good? Um, I do know Chuck Mangione. <laughs> is Feel So Good the greatest song of all time? Uh, I don't know if I know... I don't know the song names. I just know his name. Ah, well, that one was Feel So Good by Chuck Mangione. It's, to me, the quintessential kind of hold music or intermission music. Um, well, Lee, it's, it's April of 2018, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a minute since we've chatted. Yeah, we've had a little downtime between pods, but good to be back on track here. Um, do you have a, a Threestival Music Festival coming up? Oh, I believe I do. Uh, we actually have two coming up, but the, the first one is next month. Uh, May thirteenth or May tenth to thirteenth, um, in Central PA here. So that's uh, that's looking pretty good. We got a lot of really great bands and uh, cool vendors and stuff like that. And uh, it's rapidly approaching and uh, making my life very stressful. But I enjoy the uh, the stress of it because it only leads to bigger and better things. That's really cool. Is it the same venue, like an open field in Central PA? Yeah, it's at, a, it's at a campground, so there's, like, um, pavilions and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, it's open, and, there's like, the stage is covered and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it, it's a good size. It, if you, if you, you could probably fit, you know, seven, 700 people in there, 700 people. Nice. Um, that, that'd be pretty tight, but um, we're, 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 hoping to, we're hoping to get around, like, five, 600. Um, that would be really, really nice uh, in terms of... Uh, not losing any money, <laughs> which is always a goal. Right, yeah, not losing money is a good goal to have. Uh, how many how many bands no, we're still working do you guys on that have? One. <laughs> how many bands are you guys going to have? Um, I want to say like, maybe like 18, somewhere in that neighborhood. Nice. <clears throat> so we got, we got a lot of acts. We're doing like an acoustic night on Thursday. Uh, which is kind of like a crew night. That's where everybody who is like volunteering uh, shows up early, and then a lot of people who who uh, purchase tickets also show up early. But most, I would say most people probably come Friday uh, afternoon into like Saturday morning. That's like the majority of when the people head in. Um, but yeah, we're we're hoping for a great turnout. It's been really really snowy up here. A lot of precipitation, so hopefully it doesn't rain as much as it has snowed this winter. Mm. Um, we're basically on like two snowstorms a week at this point up here. Holy in the, shit! In the good old Poconos. Wow, damn. Yeah, so much. <clears throat> All right, hot hot topic question, Lee. Um, were you able to find any any female led bands or, or female um, musicians for the Threestival? Um, yes, uh, there's this uh, a group called Eden Four. Um, which is this one girl, it's just, I think it's, it's mainly this one girl, um, who, like, writes the music and stuff, and occasionally she plays with, like, a full band, um, but last time we had her, she might have played two sets, I was at the gate pretty much the whole time, running the gate and getting all that, that stuff situated, but, um, she plays, she has a really nice, uh, electric guitar, electric hollow body guitar, and uses a lot of, like, live looping and cool, um, effects. 
creates kind of like dreamy popscapes mm. um, and sings <clears> over <throat> them and kind of like an angelic kind of like, oh, is that kind of thing. Sure. Um, so she was really cool. We're having her back again this year. Um, and her, uh, her significant other is actually a pretty prominent figure in the music scene up here, Zach Lopresti. Um, and kind of a cool uh, story, he runs, uh, he was in a, a band called Out of the Beard Space. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like between 10 to 15 people of kind of like a rotating lineup. Um, just amazing musicians. They had like three or four drummers and people just like switching on and off instruments in the middle of songs. Really, really awesome. Um, they made a really big splash uh, in the PA kind of jam scene, like progressive jam scene. Um, but it's, it's hard to sustain a group with 10 to 15 people, um, just, you know, money-wise and scheduling-wise. So they kind of split up into different little side projects. And there's a band called Narbot, uh, G-N-A-R-B-O-T. Really, really awesome instrumental, like really technical instrumental, kind of like the really technical side of Umphreys, like that kind of style. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really awesome. They've been getting pretty big in Philly. Um, so we're having them, and out of the Beard Space has their own music festival called Beard Fest, <laughs> and this year they really knocked it out of the park with the lineup. They got, listen to this, they got Medeski and Billy Martin Ooh. to play with a, bass, with a bass player called Mono Neon, um, and he's played bass for, like, Prince and, and um, a lot of really awesome acts. He's really, really, uh, really talented, um, really, really technical. And so they're doing that as their first ever trio show, the three of them. Medeski on the keys, Billy Martin on the drums, and this guy Mono Neon on the bass. And it's the first time that they're ever playing a set together is at this, well, technically it's New Jersey, but it's like the Pennsylvania, Northeast Pennsylvania music scene. Uh festival called Beard Fest, so they're making a premiere there. It's really exciting. I'm not going to be able to go because um, I have other things to take care of uh, business-wise, but um, Anthony, the other guy in my band, is now playing bass for another band around here called Medusa's Disco, and crazy story, currently, right now, actually, they are recording in a multi-million dollar studio owned by the drummer of the band Live. Huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so, they, so they've been hanging out with like the band live while they're not on tour um, and just recording in the studio. Uh, they're recording a six-song EP, so they're playing at Beard Fest, and their drummer, Medusa Disco drummer, is now the drummer for Time Relapse as well. So we've kind of like merged our two bands and uh, into like this entity that just kind of like switches musicians back and forth, and we're all kind of running the festival now. So we're making a little bit of a splash here in uh, the Pennsylvania music scene, hmm. and uh, hopefully that continues. But yeah, the festival coming up in like a month and a, a month and a week. Yes, yeah, a month and a week. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, lots of good stuff going on here. But yes, to go back to your question, we do have female uh, musicians, and also Medusa's Disco is doing an acoustic set where they're bringing in a um, a female violin player that they play with. They're called Indian Dog Food. Oh. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Funny name so, yeah. for a band. What would you say, or would you be able to identify the hardest single thing about putting together a music festival, or maybe something you didn't expect to be difficult that is pretty, pretty difficult? Well, it's just the two of us doing everything. It's just me and Anthony. We literally do every single thing. There's nobody else who does anything. <laughs> because... <laughs> 
it's it's just so hard to find. It's you know the old if you want something done right, do it yourself. That's so true. And I just I don't like delegating duties to other people because it just makes me nervous, especially when money's involved because you, you just don't know who you can trust. Anybody can slip a twenty into into their pocket, you know, a couple times an hour when you're working with all cash. So it's just that that's probably the hardest thing. Like the last festival, the last couple festivals, I was just at the gate for like ninety five percent of the time. I didn't really sleep. It was you know three days, so that was a lot of coffee. But um, just being able to trust people to do things right and to not screw you over, uh, I definitely before starting this journey, wanted to trust people more. Um, but in finding out that I can't trust people in the way that I want to, um, I, I guess it's been good because it's forced me to do things that I wouldn't normally do and take on responsibilities that I wouldn't normally take on. Um, but when you're running a, you know, a music festival with five or 600 attendees and 18 bands and you're trying to coordinate anything, everything with just two people, that definitely is tough especially when you don't really have any money to be able to pay anyone to do anything mm. um, until after the festival so we get all the ticket sales and stuff. Right. So it's definitely been an experience. Pretty much all of it has been more uh, stressful and unexpected than I would have ever expected. <laughs> um, but definitely, re definitely rewarding, you know what I mean? It's better than being at a job that I dislike, uh, you know, you know. Does it get easier or harder, or is it every bit as hard as the, the years go on and you add more festivals under your belt? Um, well, it's kind, of a, it's kind of like a curve upwards because while you're getting better at some things, you're always trying new things. Mm. So it's never going to be like, oh, I've done this before. I know exactly what I'm doing. It's the same when I'm playing a show. Like, yeah, I've played hundreds of shows, but you just never know what's going to happen. Anything could go wrong. Um, stuff can malfunction, you know, especially with an outdoor festival, the weather can mess you up. Mm -hmm. um, so there's just a million different variables. Um, but that's what makes it interesting as well, because you can just, you can play out a million different scenarios in your head, but there's only one scenario that actually happens. <laughs> so that's always interesting to see. Yeah. Damn. Have you, uh, have you gone to any concerts lately? Seen anyone good? Um, no, I, I've just been primarily just, uh, just writing, you know, new music. We've been working with that drummer from Medusa's Disco. Cool. Um, so just, you know, writing new stuff for him and, and coordinating that. Um, and also just working my regular job just to be able to pay the bills. So, I mean, between working my normal job and then writing and recording and practicing and all that kind of stuff, I just have zero time for anything. But, I mean, that's a good thing. I'd rather be busy than than, you know, stagnant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I uh, I saw a concert recently on Saturday, just uh, four days ago. Oh, yeah? Three days ago. Yeah, yeah, a guy, a guy, uh, a guy I think you're familiar with. You you may have just mentioned him, uh, John Medeski. Oh! <laughs> yeah, it was... Was he by himself? No, no, it was uh, Medeski, Schofield, Martin, and Wood. Oh my god, that's amazing! It was uh, it was good, my friend. Yeah, I, it was it was at a theater um, one block south and two blocks uh, over from from my uh, the condo that even I just moved into. So very close. Oh, nice! That's close by. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Yeah, that was the Ogden Theater. The Fillmore Theater is literally like next door to us. It's it's like half a block south, and we view it from our balcony. So two of the be- the two best Denver venues um, are a, a Stone's Throw. Yeah, the, Fil- the Fillmore is legendary. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's like um, you know they had the they had the the San Francisco, I guess Fillmore. I think it's what it was, and then. Um, the Fillmore East is, is um, of course, the famous Allman Brothers album that I had live from the Fillmore East. Um, oh, nice! So yeah, they've they've that is a legendary kind of uh, venue company, and yeah, the Fillmore in Denver is definitely where it's at. But um, so yeah, I saw Medeski, Schofield, Martin, and Wood. For those who are unfamiliar, obviously a jazz quatch quartet. Um, MMW is kind of the trio version, and then they add Schofield in for the guitar. It was really cool. Um, I am always so struck by the... I, I kept thinking of the word cacophony. Um, are you familiar yeah. with that word? Yeah. So, um, I just Googled it. A harsh, discordant mixture of sounds. Cacophony. Um, yep. Y- obviously, Coming at you from all directions. Yeah. And obviously a lot of Medeski, Martin and Wood or MSMW um, music is funky and groovy um, and, and cohesive, but then they have these large swaths of time that are cacophony. And like, God, man, it, John Schofield will go 16 bars where it sounds like every single note is wrong, but also right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a dissonant note. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, uh, for players like that, I say to a lot of people what I'm talking about, like modern music, I say you don't hear a lot of players like on the radio or just in the mainstream bands where you can easily identify their style. Like if you heard just a random piece of music, there's just some, there's just some uh, musicians where you know exactly who it is just from their style, like... Um, Gilmore from Pink Floyd, like when you hear that solo from Comfortably Numb, you know that's him. You know, just by hearing any part in that solo, that that's him playing. And with Medeski, I feel the same way. He he is so unique. I've seen so many so many keyboard players, but I have never seen anybody play like Medeski. He just slaps the shit out of the keys <laughs> and happens oh, yeah. to hit a million correct notes in a row. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is. It is something to watch them. I. The other word I kept thinking of was weird. It's just fucking weirdo uh-huh. music. And um, I mean, obviously, I'm not uh, a musicologist or a, a theory guy. I don't. I don't know the proper words. But god damn it, man! Like, it, it's not. It's obviously like major keys are never like coming into play. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, sometimes yeah. they are. They are, but. Major keys are are just infrequent enough to sound just as jarring as all the other notes that are being played, and I don't know, man. It's it sounds like the wrong notes are being played all the time. It's almost like the I didn't see the movie um, The Disaster Artist, <laughs> but it's almost like that. Like it's just a perfectly discordant um, chaos. It's organized chaos in in just a crazy fucking way. I don't know, man. My brain and my ears don't know what to do when I listen to them. Yeah, I mean, when you're that good at playing your instrument, it's like, it's just like Picasso. Like, he could create the most realistic paintings 
of all time. Like, the greatest, most realistic, most ridiculous looking. And then all of a sudden, he just starts drawing, like, cubes and, like, squares. And he's just like, yeah, I'm just drawing squares now. You know what I mean? Like, he's so good that it's, like, being perfect doesn't even interest him anymore. He's like, how can I be as unperfect as possible? And let me make the most boring, like, innocuous thing and just turn it into this genius, just, like, with my own personal touch. I can create, I can draw a square, and it's the greatest square you've ever seen in your goddamn life. You know, and that's, yeah. like, that's exactly like Medeski and all those guys, like, yeah, I can play the right notes, but watch me play every single wrong note <laughs> in a row, like, in some, like, pattern that, like, you never even knew existed. Here you go. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. When the pattern emerges from the fucking chaos, that's when I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, like... My brain, I'm evolving in front of your eyes. Like, I'm becoming more of a human, I feel like. You're teaching me... Like, serendipity. (laughs) Yeah. There was one song early on, I felt like it was as close as I had ever come to to crying, to tearing from listening to music. Like, it (laughs) it was so complicated. And, like, God damn it, the pattern emerged so eloquently from this, this, like, noise... Um, I was so floored. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was really something. And and I like when because Medeski, the keyboardist, and Schofield, the guitarist, I feel like are the ones that get super weird with it. And when that happens, oh, I yeah. enjoy I enjoy tuning into the bassist, Chris Wood, and he sometime somehow keeps this groove going through all this madness. It's pretty great. Yeah, he's he's really great. Super, he's like super chill and looks always like he's having a good time and the stuff that he plays isn't super complicated compared to Medeski it's like Dr. Seuss you know what I mean mm-hmm. Medeski is playing ridiculous shit but Chris Wood he just always knows where to go always knows what note to hit when to go back to like to just chill out he's so good and then Billy Martin is such an underrated drummer um, he's just he never misses a beat he's always in the pocket and just never he just he's just he's just great I can't even I can't say a bad thing about them. They're all great. It's awesome. <laughs> totally. Yeah, with the with the Chris Wood playing simply, it looking at his face, it was almost like he was he had to listen to everything that was going on and like I feel like he has to do more processing than like more cognitive processing than Medeski. <laughs> like Medeski yeah, Medeski is playing the lead so if, you, right. if you're playing the bass you can't hit a wrong note otherwise the whole song falls off mm. if you you know what I mean if, if, mm-hmm. you, if you lose that low note you got nothing that's true yeah he's keeping the groove like I, I kept saying he felt like the glue he was really gluing the whole piece together yeah um, and he allows like and it just gives Medeski like I feel like Medeski and Schofield play with freedom and they're able to like yep. go to another dimension and just kind of um, have their eyes roll back in their head and like they're like I trust Chris yeah, Wood and Billy Martin to like fucking hold this shit down while I go to Mars. Yeah, Frank Zappa had a great interview um, when he was he was talking about how he doesn't like um, recorded solos. He's like, I don't like stuff that's been practiced a hundred times. He's like, you can pl- you can practice anything a hundred times and play anything. But he's like, when you're playing live in front of an audience, and he said, um, depending on how intuitive the rhythm section is, you can just get to heights that you would never be able to reach in the studio. And that's so true. I've, I've played with several different drummers. Um, I, I mean, the, the drummer that uh, we 
were playing with for the last few years, for the last four years, I guess, mm -hmm. um, Jacob Cadell. One of the greatest drummers I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, one of the most like innately talented and just creative drummers I've ever heard. Um, I felt super honored to be able to play with him every time we played because, just like you said, I would always have that freedom. I would be able to trust him. He was very jazz-based, um, very technical, and just never, never missed a beat. And I could just trust him completely and just play whatever the hell I wanted to play at all times. And no matter what notes I was hitting, that beat was always there, always changing, always evolving behind me. And that's so important. If I heard someone say, um, if you're a mediocre band with a great drummer, then you're a great band. Huh. And I think that's kind of true. Wow. That's cool. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, the, the Picasso analogy you made, I think, is perfect. Um, I'm thinking of this this period in Picasso's work where he would have, like, a self-portrait and he would just, like, exaggerate the fucking nose and, like, the shadowing and, like, the lines. And, you know, he would do it to the whole face to the point where you're like, am I tripping right now? Like, what? This face? Yeah. Like, I recognize this face, but something's not right. Like, it works, but it doesn't. And that's totally how the music is. Yeah, it's like tries to make you feel like you're in an altered state, for sure. It kind of puts you in one also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or like Dali, where it's like, you know what, fucking these clocks drip, motherfucker. And you're like, ah, th yeah. it looks like correct, but I know that it's not. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite Dali paintings is, I think it's called The Temptation of St. Anthony. The one with like the, the huge like um, elephant creatures with the really long legs. Yeah, yeah. A really long, thin legs, and then there's a the guy on the ground, like holding a, a cross up to it. Yep. Yeah, I'm That's looking at it. Right you'd recognize it if you saw it. It's a pretty famous one. Yeah, it's the the stilt, the stilt leg elephant and horse situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that shit's good. Um, yeah, but the the Medeski album Friday Afternoon in the Universe, Medeski mm -hmm. Martin and Wood. I'd probably listen to that. It's all instrumental. I'd probably listen to that CD. Probably close to a hundred times. There was a time where I was listening to it like several times a day, front to back. It's only like forty-five minutes, but it's just there's not a there's not a bad note on mm -hmm. that album. I can just one of the few instrumental albums that I can listen from front to back and not get bored. Um, so awesome! Friday afternoon in the universe, one of my faves. Mm. Nice. Um, and you're the one who introduced me to them and to Humphreys. Oh wow! I feel quite honored and Kush. Yep. Kushner introduced me to Umphreys, so I, I owe it to Matt Kushner. For yeah, sure. I remember he, he was a huge Umphreys fan. The first jazz song I ever heard was um, John Schofield's Green Tea, and I'm pretty sure it's MMW as the backing musicians, but it was a Schofield solo album. Nice. And they played it as the encore on Saturday, and I was like, ah, oh, it's the first jazz song I ever heard in my oh, life. And, um, that's amazing. Yeah, it was good, and um, and Mike Kelly was the one who introduced me to John Schofield, Mike Kelly, the drummer from Savoy, who you've jammed with. Um, I remember yep. being at Mike's house in Armonk, um, being in his living room, and the computer was set up in the living room, the big desktop. This was like 1998. We were like 12 years old. Nice. And he was like, dude, I... Sorry, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
I, I'm pretty sure he was like, have you ever, it was something like, have you ever heard jazz? Or like, dude, I need you to hear this song. Like, it's jazz. And, and I'm pretty sure we had this conversation in seventh grade where we were like, I never really liked jazz because we were big. We were Dave Matthews head fans when when or fan Dave uh, Matthews yeah. head fans, um, kind of before other kids were because our older siblings were fans, so we got into it kind of young. Um, and, but yeah, I remember just so vividly him us playing that song. This was like the height of Napster, or the beginning of Napster, rather. So pretty easy. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy how when you're a kid and the first time you hear certain bands, it just changes your whole fucking life. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, it's it's uh, it's it sucks that as an adult we have so many life experiences that we're a little desensitized. <laughs> but um, absolutely. Music, I think, it, music is one of those things where you can hear something novel, and and have that fulfillment of like this is so new and um, wrinkling my brain so to speak I think music's one of those things yeah I remember the first time I ever heard I was in the car by myself I forget what I was driving to maybe I'm, I think I might have been driving up to Penn State actually um, in the college days and I had Dave Matthews uh, live at Red Rocks mm-hmm. and the first song is Seek Up and the intro to that song Carter's drumming is just like completely out of this world, and Leroy just puts out one of the greatest sax solos that I've ever heard in my life. And I'll never forget the first time I heard that song in the car, and it just put me into like a completely different dimension. Like I couldn't even believe that like the the music was real. That Seek Up, that first track is just so unbelievably amazing. And of course, the the rest of that CD is amazing as well. I'm still a huge Dave fan. Um, But that was just one of those times that I'll always remember. The first time I heard that song. The first time you showed me Miss Tinkle's Overture by Umphreys, <laughs> um, I had it playing on my laptop, and it had like that the iTunes or the Windows Media Player visualizer on. And the intro of that song is just the the piano that starts on the real low note. Goes and it goes into the song, and like that changed my whole perspective on music forever. When you showed me that song, it's just like those those are awesome moments. Nice. I um I, man, I haven't heard that song in a long time. Um, I kind of mm-hmm. I kind of want to get the intro here for the listeners. Here we go. Yeah, the studio album or the studio version. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fucking cool, dude. Yep, greatest band ever. Yep, yep, I agree. I I don't really like the new studio stuff, um, but. You know, pre-Humphrey is basically pre-2011 is my favorite band of all time. Yeah, it always works like that. Um, and it, I mean, same with, same with Dave Matthews. Like, I don't mm-hmm. like his new studio stuff, but Dave, you know, pre-2005 is, is one of my favorite bands of all time. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess there's there's a sweet spot, and it's just weird how, like, it feels like a consensus is usually reached. Like with Umphreys, I feel like most people would agree with you, but yet yep. Umphreys will continue doing whatever the fuck they want to do. <laughs> They're like, we don't care because they have that. They, because they have that backlog of all those amazing songs and shows for sure. 
Yeah, and with with Humphreys, so I, like, oh, you don't, you don't like my new stuff? You don't like my new stuff? Well, here, here's like a fuck a freaking bucket of the greatest music you've ever heard. Now I'm gonna make this new stuff. Yeah, they have that cachet, um, that that yep. credibility where they have the fan base. Um, my friend Mike and Savoy was talking about this. They were like, "We want it." We were thinking about experimenting with new music and just going straight rock and roll, or doing jazz. And like, they were afraid that they'd lose their fans. And it's like, yeah, it's a tough decision, man. Like, you're you're a certain you're a certain brand. Um, but I was like, yeah, at the end of the day, like people, you are you have music fans now, and you'll keep some, you'll lose some, you'll gain some more. It's like, um. Yeah, but with Umphreys, if you lose a little popularity, like you said, they still have great music library and they still have tons of money. So gives a shit. Yeah, I mean that's why for me it's all about the live show, and I also think that that's why um, the creation of studio albums I feel like is kind of going out of style because you can release a studio album of all new material and your fans might hate it. Or you could just play live shows and slowly integrate the new songs and experiment with them live. Yes. And your fans will learn to love them because they're there for the creation. Yeah, I, th- I feel like Umphreys has some popular studio songs that were first live stuff, right? Absolutely, yeah. Pretty much all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, I, I'm going to Umphreys McGee for three... Uh, well, they're playing for three nights this summer at Red Rocks. But herein lies my dilemma, Lee. Like, I don't... I I get desensitized pretty quickly to to different things. I like to switch things up pretty frequently. That's why I don't like music festivals. Like, just three days straight of music. um, Like, it gets tiring. So with, like, the Threestival, I'd probably, like, take breaks. Like, come, come at night. Like, hang out at the campgrounds and fucking pig out and get high and take naps and then like just go for the music oh, yeah, at night. I'm, a, I'm the same way dude yeah i'm totally the same way so like spending like four like three hundred dollars on a fucking three-day festival and shit is like not where i'm at anymore because i get desensitized yeah um so for yeah, um, absolutely for umphreys i'm like ah do i spend 130 bucks for three nights or do i get the first night and the third night or do i just get the last two nights ah what a dilemma lee yeah, I, the, the thing that's great about Humphreys, though, is that they kind of play to that, the fact that people do get desensitized by playing every single style of music, <laughs> like, right. in the course of, like, a 10-minute period, so you just never know what you're going to get, which is great. All right, maybe you've, okay, maybe, maybe you just convinced me to get all three nights, because that is true. <laughs> but also, also, Humphreys is a little past the prime right now. Um, <laughs> not that they're not still great, but, I mean, I saw them a couple years ago, at um, the Kirby Center in Wilkesbury, and it was it, it was definitely a little bit more toned down than I was used to. I saw their 14-year anniversary show at the Best Buy Arena in Times Square. It was two nights. It was sold out. So, like, it was only a, I think it's only a 25 or 3,000-seater venue. So if it's sold out, all 3,000 of those people are huge Humphreys fans in the middle of New York City in Times Square. So, I mean, we, I was just standing in the front row, um, and it was just one of the greatest shows, greatest set list. They ended with Judd Junk. It was just amazing. Like, everything I could have ever wanted was in that show, and that was in 2012. And then I saw them in, like, 2016, and it was just much more mellow, like, not 
Like, the, the songs weren't as great, like the newer songs, because they just weren't, like, as fleshed out. And they were just a little more um, pop-oriented than, like, the older crazy stuff. So I was just like, no, no, all right. Like, I guess, I guess that, like, 2012, like, maybe that was, like, their peak for me. Um, but, I, I mean, any, it's like any given Sunday with Humphreys. Like, you could go to a show and just be completely demolished by a really well-put-together set list. You just don't know. Um, but I definitely feel like they're past their prime a little bit right now. Yeah, um, it's it's so funny. Well, I was I was thinking about this when watching Schofield on Saturday because Schofield's like a seventy year old man, and I used to think that yeah. um, I used to compare musicians to athletes um, in that like you have a prime and you have a physical prime. Um, but then I was thinking on Saturday, like Schofield's strength was never speed. He was never a speed guy. And I don't yeah. like your intellect. It might maybe maybe you lose brain cells, but like your intellect kind of evolves as you get older, and like your your perspective on life doesn't get better or worse. It kind of changes. So I was thinking like, well, the choices Schofield makes might be different, but they're not worse. And and so it's still it's still valuable to see a seventy year old guy. But this idea that yeah, like a band can have a prime. And, um, like, not everyone's like Michael Jordan, where Michael Jordan had this, this killer instinct where every night he was going to bring it. Um, like, not yeah. everyone's like Springsteen. Like, I'm, I would imagine it's hard to sustain Humphrey's level of intensity for 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? They're, they're human beings, Lee, after all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also... With Schofield, it's, it's like all instrumental, so it's a different. It's like a different part of your brain. Yeah. Um, when you're talking about writing songs with lyrics and like clear cut, you know, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, that kind of stuff. Um, when you're in your, you know, you're in your twenties and you know your thirties and whatever. Um, I guess you just things are more novel, mm -hmm. so you're you can't help but be more passionate about certain things. Mm. Um, and then when you get to be, you know, like, like, like I use the example of Dave Matthews, like after 2005, his, his stuff, his written songs definitely went on to decline from like the early days of like rhyme and reason and best of what's around and Rapunzel and all those fucking really cool songs that were just really different. The stone, um, recently, all those songs, like, they're all completely different from each other, really cool, like, guitar riffs that Dave came up with, and just really awesome lyrics, and then you got post-2005, and it's just a little bit watered down, like, every day, mm -hmm. it's just, like, a little bit watered down, and it just keeps going in that direction until it's just, like, Dave is, like, adult contemporary now, right. it's not, like, there's not the same band it was in the 90s. It's it's so strange, um, but it, I guess it's just bound to happen. Yeah, I always. So I, don't know. I think you're right. I always assumed that when we said like, "Oh, their older stuff was better," I thought that was a problem with us being like, like, now we're just being nostalgic and our memory's not operating properly. But now that you explain it like that, I think you're right. Like, they they are past their prime, and the old shit really is better. Whether it's Dave Matthews, whether it's you two whether it's Humphreys, like, there's a prime for this shit, and if Jimi Hendrix had been a 55-year-old man, he would have made introspective, thoughtful shit that was less exciting, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just like you have, like, a, a sexual prime, like, your body... I, I love thinking of, of humans as kind of 
biologically driven creatures and and i i say now that we're barely evolved monkeys but thinking about how our whole purpose in in biological life is to like stay alive long enough to reproduce and then like that's all that's all um and creativity you know all our human um psychological functions are are kind of they grow out of our biological drives to to stay alive and reproduce and so we're most active and we're most vibrant and vital in our 20s you know and now that i'm 32 i'm slowly dying (laughs) so i could i could picture your musical you know your musical ambition possibly being the same way yeah i mean it's things definitely change it's very strange aging very very strange mm-hmm. um, and nobody really explains that to you when you're in when you're in school when you're younger like people tell you that like oh yeah I'm getting old it's, it's real weird but like you just really don't understand until you start you know you get past your 20s like I'm 31 it's definitely weird mm-hmm. you know what I mean and it's only gonna get weirder yeah um, can I can yeah. I bring up something kind of unrelated unre- but a tangent sure so we're talking about how the purpose of biological life is to remain alive long enough to, to reproduce. Um, I was thinking about this the other day while eating a piece of fruit. Uh, I think it was a strawberry. And I was eating this strawberry and I was like, is the whole purpose of strawberries existence just so that I eat it and poop out the seeds? I yep. think I th- like I think that's it, right? Yeah, pretty much. So like this this tree that's why, fr- that's why fruits are delicious, so you eat them. Right. So this bush this bush went through fucking all this trouble, like spent all this extra energy just to make something appealing to me to eat. Like it had nothing to do with like picking up the wind, um like a dandelion seed. It had everything to do with enticing my conscious attention. And first of all, I think that's fucking crazy. Like, how smart are you, Bush? Like, and and how how <laughs> intricately are we connected that, like, the entire reason that you're constructed that way is because of the reason that I'm constructed my way and we somehow came about mutually. Fucking weird. But, but also... But it's, so passive, it's so passive on the bush. Yeah. You eat the sweetest fruit, so when you poop the seeds out, the tree that grows has that sweetness, the same sweetness, and then it just keeps going. You just keep finding the sweetest yes. fruit, you eat that, and then you find the next sweetest fruit, and you eat that. So only the sweetest ones get reproduced. So then before you know it, fruits are so sweet that, you know. It's fuck. I have no way to end that sentence. But, it's yeah. fucking geniusly. It's goddamn genius. And, like, you like the, the, the strawberry bush knows somehow that I'm not going to digest some of these. Like, like... It's like, I'm just going to produce a billion of these. Because <laughs> I know that some aren't yep. going to make it. God, I just, I find that fucking fascinating. And... Yeah. Eat my, tre- eat my tree pussy and poop it out somewhere else. And then what happens is, like, this this strawberry bush has... Um, like, the strawberry itself has, has pesticides in it that keep it from um, getting fungus on it. Yep. And then what we've done as animals is we're like, oh, you have you have poison that that kills biology. 
well, I am stronger than your poison, so I'm going to eat your poison. My body will get a little bit of like a poisoning, <laughs> but my strong reaction to it will make me stronger. And that's like what antioxidants are, we're now realizing. Yeah. Um, so like the thing that kills other things makes us stronger and like then the strawberry somehow picks up on that and we're like, well, let's pump out more of those. I don't know. It's fucking nature's awesome. Yeah. Didn't happen overnight. That's for sure. Oof. Wasn't built in a day, my friend. Yep. Um, yep. well, do you have, um, does your whole family live in Pennsylvania or close to you? No, a good amount of my family lives in Florida. Um, I got family in Maryland. Um, I think that's, I think that's pretty much it. Mm. I don't go too far. East Coast. Do you ever get family FOMO like I do? A FOMO? I get family FOMO. I see I see Facebook pictures from back east. I'm like, ah, there's my family, and I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. Social media is so weird. You just see what everybody's doing without actually having to interact with them. <laughs> They're being a family without me. It is weird, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made my family disappear. <laughs> I mentioned this on the pod once before. I love I love Snapchat for for staying in touch with family because I'll I'll see my cousin Jess after not seeing her for two years and I'll know exactly like oh like how's the baking going like you're still making those awesome looking cookies and like and like oh like how's your dog I know like they had surgery like I don't know it's I like that because then her sister is not on Snapchat and I'm like I don't fucking know what you're up to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't use Snapchat as much anymore, especially after I went uh, phoneless for like two weeks. Um, now I really don't ever ever use it. Yeah. Um, I, after that, I stopped using like half the apps that I use. Yeah. Tell me about being phoneless. Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. Um, I definitely didn't hate it. Um, I acclimated it to I acclimated to it a lot faster than I expected. Um, for the first few days, I was definitely. I kept putting my hand to my pocket, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when I'm at work, I keep my, my phone in my back right pocket, so I just kept, like, grabbing my ass, and there was nothing there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were like, why are you grabbing your ass all the time? Yeah, um, you're fingering yourself. But after, like, yeah, after, like, three or four days, um, I stopped doing that, and I didn't even really think about it. Like, I'd be somewhere where normally I would, you know, if I'm waiting for something, I would take my phone out, but after that urge is gone... I would just kind of sit there and just like look around, just kind of like zone out and think about stuff. Um, you know, there's so much of our time we spend checking our phone, looking at our phone, looking through our phone. I thought that all that time I would notice, but I really didn't. It's not like, oh my God, I have so much extra time now. It's just, you know, there's, there's certain things that you do in your days to get stuff done, you know, whether you're doing work or for me, like practicing guitar or writing or recording, um, and I really don't use my phone when I don't have to. Um, so it's not like I was getting back all this free time. It was time that I would have spent doing, you know, bullshit anyway. So it, it really was, it was an enjoyable experience, I would say. I, I definitely did not hate it, as I said. Um, I was definitely more present in the world. Um, 
when I was around people and just not having the option to escape from reality. It's just like, well, here I am. I guess I better uh, talk to this person or look over there or do something. Um, but I thought that it would affect me a lot more than it did. And I feel like people say, like, oh, I can't live without my phone. But after a week, you won't even really remember that you're missing anything. Unless you're, like, a crazy freaking phone addict, which we all are to an extent. But um, I think people would be surprised how fast they could get used to not having one. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Um, that's good. And that's cool that it, it turned out to be a nice uh, experience, learning experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't, like, tweak out. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Jesus Christ, I just want to freaking text somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that did not happen, so that's good. Right. That, yeah, right, because like you said, before you do it, you don't know how you're going to react. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was forced to do it for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you remember, like, oh, yeah, it, my life wasn't worse before this phone. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. It's just just a little bit different, and not terribly different. I mean, I still have a laptop, so it's not like I'm cut off from all of society. Um, so maybe if I didn't also have a laptop, it would have been a little bit different. Right. Um, but it was it was kind of weird. Um, the ones, oh yeah, um, like the cell service around here went out one time during like a big snowstorm, um, and I was sitting in my house, and Angel, uh, my fiance, was sleeping. And I was just sitting out in the kitchen, and uh, I couldn't connect to the internet. And I just got, like, this wave of anxiety that came over me. Yeah, yeah, I totally forgot about this. I had just, like, this huge wave of anxiety come over (laughs) me. Like, I am totally cut off from everything and anyone. Like, I'm completely alone in the world. Like, that was the feeling that I felt just in that quick moment. And then the wave came over me, and then I was just like, wait, like, no. No, this is, like, wrong. Like, I don't need to feel this way. Um, And then... As soon as I told myself that, it kind of went away. Um, but it was just weird. Like, when you don't have your phone and you can't connect to the Internet, you just realize that all that stuff is, is just fake. Mm-hmm. And it's all just, it's all completely constructed by all the different people. Like, that's not really their life. Facebook is not real life. And that was what I realized in that moment when I got that intense wave of anxiety that maybe, uh, you know, I put a little bit too much stock into my online presence and not enough into just my own conscious being in the present moment. Hmm. So that was a nice little uh, reminder for me. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> I was just at dinner with Eva and a friend of hers, and um, I was just talking about random you know, news that I was reading about and events of the day or of the month. And um, her friend said, you know, I don't... I, I don't I haven't been staying connected with what's going on. I don't really I haven't been reading a lot of current events and uh, I you know I certainly don't watch the news. And I was like, yeah, you're not missing anything. Like your life has not been affected by the fact that you don't know what Trump's up to. Um, my life isn't any yep. better. Like it's strictly a hobby. <laughs> and um, in that yep. moment I was like, oh yeah, what I've been spending hours on is like just completely useless. Like it's just a hobby. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Um, I think I mentioned on the pod before in college, I um, I had a sociology teacher that had a homework assignment that we not use our phones or iPods um, for a week about twelve years ago when I, we were in college. So it was really cool. Uh, like you yeah. said, you really notice how you don't need it and how your life is just 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 quite all right without it. 
Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to, to feel that. Like anybody, people can tell you that, but until you actually feel it and you realize, and it's just like, Facebook is not real life. Mm-hmm. And I just had, I just repeated that in my head a few times, like, Facebook is not real life. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, speaking of not real life, I, uh, I gotta tell you about, about how I've been seeing all these movies lately. Yeah? Have you heard about MoviePass? I've heard whispers about it, but I don't really know what it is. Oh. They should they should totally be a sponsor um, <laughs> of this podcast because I'm about, I'm about to about to lay down some gospel. It's pretty much the greatest thing ever. Um, the the company Movie Pass is is uh, the CEO is one of the founders of Netflix, and it's half owned by a market research company, um, and which becomes important when I explain how they um, collect your data. <laughs> um, but uh, pretty much. Yeah. The movie pass service is I pay nine dollars and ninety nine cents a month, and I'm allowed to go to one free movie every day um, at about eighty five percent of the movie theaters around the country, and as long as it's not IMAX or three D, yeah. So I can't see IMAX or three D, but one free movie every day. Um, I've literally gone to movies three days in a row. Um, and the movies will cost anywhere from seven bucks for a matinee to twelve or thirteen dollars at night downtown, and it's um, just nine ninety nine a month, and I get I get to see like thirty movies a month if I want to in the theater. Uh, are movie theaters really doing that badly sales wise that they had to do this? Well, this is what's weird. So, MoviePass is a is an independent, separate company. They're not affiliated with AMC or United or any movie theater. They're they're losing money hand over fist um, because when they when they take my nine ninety nine a month they're still paying the movie theaters full price for each ticket I buy. Um, they give right. me they give me a little a little prepaid debit card essentially that they that they deactivate until I go to the movie theater and I check in on my phone. Then they temporarily activate that um, prepaid card. So that it's good for one swipe, yeah. So it's a it's an interesting system with an app and a physical debit card that they load up. But yeah, like even I have literally been to over a thousand dollars worth of movies, and we've paid eighty bucks the past four months. Um, so they're losing money hand over fist, paying movie theaters full price, but they're gaining our our user data in return. So they're not gonna steal our credit card information, but they know that I saw Black Panther three times. So apparently that's valuable. Oh. Oh, okay. That's like, they're like killing two birds with one stone here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're killing, they're killing a bunch of birds. They're killing one bird with a few stones, but they're hoping that that bird ends up being very valuable. (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah. So yeah, they're losing money in the short term, but they're gaining my, 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 purchasing patterns and then they could probably easily link up my name with my Facebook account and figure out my social activity and um, it could lead to all sorts of good marketing things for them when they collect you know 4 million users' data yeah absolutely so that's their plan Um, AMC and United are freaking out AMC threatened to sue MoviePass for no reason except that they're afraid that in the future 
MoviePass might ask them for a cut of concessions, because apparently movie theaters only make money on concessions. Interesting. That's why they're so expensive. Exactly. Exactly. So the studios and the distributors and the producers, they get most of the, the ticket money. Um, the theater barely makes anything from that. They need to make their money with candy and concessions. And that's been an agreement between theaters and, and movie makers since, like, the 20s, apparently. Yeah, that's interesting. I never even really thought about that. Yeah, that's why, like, oh, let's go out to the movies and get ourselves a snack. It's all about fucking pushing those snacks. Yeah, I mean, that's why concert tickets are so expensive, because bands aren't making any money off album sales, so they gotta freaking jack up the price of the tickets, and then you're in the venue, and all the, the you know, a water bottle is $8. Yeah. So, same deal. Yes, exactly, yeah, very true. So, have you seen any movies in the past few months? Not really. I mean, I have Netflix and Hulu, um, and I I only really watch movies when Angel's like, hey, let's watch a movie. And I'm yeah. like, all right. Uh, but I don't I don't just watch movies on my own. Um, if I have free time when I'm doing nothing at home, I'll usually watch um, Hulu. I just use it for cartoons, really. I watch uh, Bob's Burgers, which I love, South Park, uh, Family Guy is on there. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> Family Guy is a funny show. <laughs> I, I saw an interview with um, Seth MacFarlane, and he's like, our only goal with Family Guy has to be has been to make you laugh as many times within a single episode as possible. So that means putting in as many jokes as possible. Right. So at least one joke every five minutes is going to land on every on any single person in the entire world. Yeah. Because they, just, they, they throw so many jokes at you that you can't help but laugh. Like, a few times an episode, which is better than a lot of shows can say. Um, so i got to give them props. Like, they, they do some funny stuff. Um, but I just, I love cartoons. I don't know what it is. I just love that you can't just throw a beautiful person onto a screen and have them say something and just be, you know, enthralled by it. Like, you have to draw, and you have to make, you have to have, like, a really cohesive storyboard, and you have to have a really solid plot line. And you have to have really good voices and really good quality um, recordings of the voices. Otherwise, it's going to sound weird. And there's just so many things that can, can ruin a cartoon. So when you have a good cartoon that, that keeps you entertained, I think that's, that's just brilliant. I love it. Did you ever watch a cartoon called The PJs? <laughs> With Eddie Murphy. <laughs> that shit was good, man. I... I, I I remember when that show was on, I didn't really find it um, relatable to myself, so I never really got into it. <laughs> right. Um, but I was aware of it when it was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new one like that. I think it's called The Boondocks. Like the like cartoons, oh, yeah. cartoons for like black audiences. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you used to watch... Uh, what did you watch? Like Darkwing Duck? Did you get into uh, Chippendales? Uh... What'd you get into? Um, that was like when I was real little. That was like a little bit before. That was like my brothers. Right. Um, my one brother is 10 years older than me. My other brother is 6 years older than me. Yeah. And that was kind of like their thing. Um, I was huge into The Simpsons. Uh, I love The Simpsons. <laughs> I grew up watching that every single day. Um, that was my number one. Um, after that, then it was South Park. Once I got a little bit older, 
I became obsessed with South Park. I think that's one of the greatest shows ever created. Um, and Joe Rogan agrees with me. <laughs> I know, we've been but, through uh, this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I got really into uh, Bob's Burgers lately. The, the humor and the characters are so amazing. Um, and the, the first season of Bob's Burgers is just one of the funniest, one of the funniest seasons of any shows I've ever watched. The jokes are so spot on, and the timing is so amazing, and the character development is so great. You really get invested in the characters. Um, so that's been my main deal lately. Yeah, yeah. No, that that first season was was pretty pretty uh, pretty great. Yeah. Did you see? Uh, you, you can't get away with the same stuff these days that you used to be able to in cartoons. No, that's true. Um, what, uh... Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, do you, uh... Damn, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, did you see... Have you seen uh, Big Mouth on Netflix? Yeah, yeah, one of, uh... I think I work with recommended that to me. It is really ridiculous, um, but I got... I got kind of tired of it after, like, like five or six episodes and I was just like alright like it's not as funny as I would have hoped it would be but there's some stuff in there that's really ridiculous yeah yeah I mean Nick Kroll and Jason Manzukas are two of my favorites but yeah it's, it's a little it's a little much um the as long as you saw the scene where Kristen Wiig um plays the vagina it's like the best thing I've ever seen in my life oh I'm not sure if I've seen it it was a while ago <laughs> well, um, I think it's yeah, it's Kristen Wiig. She is, um, she's the funniest person ever. She was on SNL. Yeah, she's really funny. She's a bridesmaid. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to I'm trying to see if I can find it on <laughs> on on YouTube because I will totally waste everyone's yeah, time. Yeah, she was great on SNL. Um. Okay. Let's see. Kristen Wiig. Here we go. I think I got it. If my internet wants to work today. Jay is so gross. He doesn't know what I want. Yeah, he doesn't. Jesse, what do you want? I don't know. <laughs> I know I like this, and I thought I was going to like this. You did like that. Yeah, but everyone's reaction to it made me feel so weird. Who cares about everyone else? I'm going to fast God. forward. Hello? Hey, girl, hey! Oh my god, I have been dying to meet you. Oh, cool, okay, hi, I'm I'm Jesse. Well, I'm your genitals. <laughs> What's up? Well, I was wondering when you... <laughs> you go first. Wait, oh, we jokes. talked at the same time. Oh, we're having fun. This is fun. I have to say, you are not what I was expecting. Well, do you want the grand tour? Oh, uh, yes, please. Great, okay. Um, well, up top, la 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 la, this is the clitoris. It's <laughs> where the party happened. What do you mean by party? Oh, gosh. Have you ever been electrocuted, but in a good way? <laughs> okay. It's a very important spot. Oh, this is the urethra. That's where the pee comes out. Oh. I didn't know there was a second hole. Well, there's three if you count Uranus. I don't think I do. Yeah, me neither. She's an asshole. <laughs> That's a joke. Oh, okay. No, she's a lovely lady. And a drummer. Um, what else? Labia majora. Well, the labia minora. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, and this part here? It goes on. I know I'm boring everyone, but Kristen Wiig's a delight. I couldn't hear any of that, but I assumed it was hilarious. Um, yeah, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to watch it. The, you know, the listeners may not have heard it either. the The volume is quite low on the computer, but 
But it's it's Kristen <laughs> Wiig. Just AJ enjoying a scene from uh, the show. Either. Yeah, totally. But it's Kristen Wiig introducing the various parts of of herself because she's uh, she's a vagina. Um, she does it with great. She, <laughs> she does it with great. I can imagine aplomb. her pitching that. Is she so funny? Like it's so like casual and like so. This is that. It's like she's giving her the grand tour. She calls it. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Um, have you seen the I sh- love when I when I see a ridiculous skit or like see a ridiculous show. I like to think about the first time that whoever created that idea like pitched that to an executive and how ridiculous it must have sounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm. Have I, you ever, mm-hmm. you ever watched Black Mirror? No, but I, I do need to watch an episode or two eventually. Uh, the first episode of Black Mirror, season one, episode one, is probably the most ridiculous. Uh, thing that I've ever seen like put onto television, hmm. just the, the the concept and what like happens. And the whole time I was like, "Is this really happening right now?" And I just kept saying, "Like I I can't imagine somebody going into an executive office and being like, all right, here's what we're gonna do.' And then I don't want to give it away to you because it's so it's so funny once you realize what's happening. The episode is amazing. Season one, episode one of Black Mirror. You will you will thoroughly. It is impossible <laughs> not to have your brain poked by that episode. It's amazing. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about Black Mirror that i got to check it out. <clears throat> that it's so so different, like you said. Yeah, it's an anthology, so each episode is like a different story with mostly different actors. Sometimes it's the same actors playing different parts. Um, it's kind of like a combination of those two. Um, but the the newest season is probably the best season. Really awesome. Hmm. Nice. It's like a it's like kind of like the Twilight Zone. Um, it's like dystopian technological futures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the theme of like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, pretty cool. Right. Nice. Um, growing up, t- I I now tell people that TV was like a family member or TV was like a parent. Do you feel that way? Yeah, it was definitely more a part of everything than it is now. Um, but the t- I mean, the TV was, like, always on in my house. We had a TV in our den, like, our, like, main living room. And then we had a TV in the kitchen, right, next to the table. So we'd go from watching TV in the living room to go, my mom would be making dinner. Then we'd sit down to dinner in front of the TV and watch fucking Home Improvement. Yeah, yeah. Home Improvement. Uh? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Heidi. Um, yeah, yeah. That was a great show. It was a great show. Uh, there are large swaths of American people like us, our age, who um, who who had that experience, and then there's a lot of people who did not have that experience. Like Eva is like, no, not at all. Like she doesn't get any of the references I make to '90s TV. It's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the reason that our generation is so like not messed up, but just, like, <laughs> falling just through an infinite rabbit hole is because, I mean, there's before we were, like, in college and, like, before we were in high school, before, like, the Internet really took over and before there were smartphones, like, that was our childhood. You know what I mean? Like, I had dial-up Internet when I was, like, eight or nine, and it was just, like, on one computer in the house in, like, you know, the, like the, the shared computer between everybody. And that was our connection to the internet, and it was like AOL and chat rooms. And then there was even before that, um, like in our early childhood, uh, like pretty much up until like 
I think the internet was made in like 94 or something like that. And I was born in 87. So, I mean, I was seven years old when, it, when the internet like came out. So, there's that area before we really grew up and before adolescence where there was no technology and then just the explosion of technology and then the after and it's just everywhere and everyone has a smartphone in their pocket and you know kids don't play outside anymore everyone's playing Fortnite and like place you know all that kind of stuff so i just feel like that is what's causing our generation to be so strange <laughs> yeah i think i think the younger i think the generation after us though is um <clears throat> a lot better off than us what do you think Um, I don't know. There's so many things happening in the world now, and technology has both sped everything up and also kind of illuminated everything that's going on. Um, and there's so many protests now because everybody can see all the injustices that are going on all over the world without actually being there. Um, and you kind of feel like you're part of it when you're, you know, watching those, you know, tearjerker videos of families being displaced and, you know, children being bombed and all that kind of stuff. And you can see it right in front of your face. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what direction we're going in. I mean, 50% of America is obese. That's right. a problem. Yeah. You know, one, you know, one out of every three people, I think it's like, it's such a ridiculous rate, like 40, like 8% obesity or something like that. Um, but like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Wally. Have you seen that movie? No, and I hear it's great. I gotta see it. Yeah, um, it's just like in the in the future, and it shows the future of humanity, and we're all just on this cruise ship spaceship in outer space because the Earth became unlivable because we destroyed it, and everyone is obese, and everyone is in a like a floating lounge chair, um, like with like computers like hooked up into it. And everyone just, like, floats by each other in the lounge chairs, and there's just, like, a see-through screen in front of them at all times, and they're always just, like, eating, eating just, like, bags of, like, chips and cereal while they're, like, texting and talking to people and just floating around. Nobody has to walk. Everyone's just huge and fat. Um, and that was, that's like a, a Disney Pixar movie, you know what I mean? So, like, if, if that's the extreme version of where we're headed, a moderate version of that is probably not very good either. Um, so I really don't know. If we're going to be better off, uh, as long as we don't blow ourselves up, I hope that we can reach the next level. But, I mean, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> like you said, it's hard to tell. I'm, <clears throat> As you know, I've... <clears throat> excuse me. As you know, I've uh, become become preoccupied with, like, nutrition. And, and yeah, when you, when you talk about obesity, and um, I think about, like, um, how a lot of kids don't understand or a lot of just people in general don't understand like what soda does to you or what taco bell does to you um i think that's so important for cognitive function like i think it would be really hard for me to think i know it's hard for me to think clearly when my when i'm not eating right so that's that concerns me um but on the other side of the coin i think that the the generation after us the younger generation is so much better equipped to handle um, propaganda in a way that, like, humanity has never been able to handle before. Um, and so you talked about how we've we've grown up with a transition of technology, and 
we are adapters to it, um, whereas like the next generation are kind of native users. They were born into it, and so like uh, I was talking with Eva and her friend at lunch, and they were saying how concerning it is that how informa- it's so easy for informa- for bad information to look good and for fa- fake news to look real, and how what can you really trust anymore? Um, and I was like, I completely disagree. Like, I think that we are getting better. I think that we are the ex- we're the bad ones at it, and the next generation, as evidenced by the Parkland High School kids, like they just cut right through the bullshit when people accuse them of being crisis actors, or or the the right wing tries to um, pull some political bullshit on them. They're like, we know you're being an idiot. Like, we know you're trying to troll me. Um, I've been dealing with that my whole life, so I'm hoping. That, like, they're able to see through bullshit and propaganda easier so that they're able to see what everyone used to call conspiracy theories, which is just the way the world works, which is that food that's pushed to us makes us dumber, and the economy that gets pushed to us makes us poorer, and, like, hopefully, and, like, the the gun rights that get thrown in our face are not for gun rights, it's for it's for manufacturers to make more money, like... I hope they'll be able to see that more easily and we can get, like, a real revolution going where they're just like, oh, we can just vote on this? Like, what else do we want to change about the world, you know? Yeah. They need to make voting easier. It needs to be online. It just has to be. Yes. But, I mean, obviously, then it's, it's way easier to compromise. But you, you have to be able to vote from home. Now that we have the technology, like, that's got to happen mm. within the next, like, two years. Right. It's got to. That's an interesting point. Um... I, I I started looking into or I was I was looking a little bit at um, voter registration, and mm-hmm. voter registration used to not be a thing in this country until Reconstruction, um, uh, antebellum South was like the first time that we had voter registration because it was invented to suppress the vote. It was invented to keep black people from voting. Do you think any of it had to do with voter fraud and people putting in like votes for like dead people and like fake people? Well, that's like that? that's what's funny. The like just like in 2016, the voter fraud um, hysteria was a, a veil for racism and voter suppression, and like that's exactly what they talked about in the 1850s. Like, it, we're trying to prevent voter fraud, and it's like that's not what you're trying to prevent. Like, we all know what you're trying to prevent. <laughs> Yeah, um, but but the, there's limits to like humans aren't good at processing logic. Even I uh, saw this this lecture at CU Denver about the limits of logic and politics, and the dude would walk us through some statements that seemed logically correct, but then we we subbed in p's and q's for the statements, and we realized that like we were falling into all these logical fallacies. And he was showing us that as humans, we're not good at processing logic, especially if it's like four or five logical things in a row. Um, and so when it comes to politics, you can't follow along with policy and like usually the loudest voice is, is the one that you listen to. And it's like how Trump repeatedly says like the Democrats really ruined DACA. The Democrats really ruined it. They had a chance and the Democrats just ruined it. Just like how they ruin everything. And you hear that a hundred times. You're like, oh, I guess the Democrats ruined DACA. (laughs) Yeah. I'm rambling, but um, but yeah, I'm hoping that the younger generation will be able to see through that bullshit more. Like, just because you're louder doesn't mean you're you're more correct. 
Yeah, but honestly, I think that the thing holding everything back is that you can't vote online. Because, yeah. I mean, mm. 50% voter turnout. Totally. That's, that's all you need to know. You know what I mean? For the last election, 50%. Mm-hmm. So Trump only got, you know what, 20% of the actual entire voter base. Um, after, like, you know what I mean? He got, you know, yeah, half of a half. Right. You know what I mean? I'm, so, yeah. But I think the young, yeah. Um, But yeah, like voter voter registration was put up to suppress the vote. Like not having it online is is, you know, that would that's a a good way to suppress the vote is to to not make it online. Um, I I hope that like these the younger generation like looks at the Parkland kids and is like okay like it's not it's never easy Um, like it's never going to be given to you. Like, you have to essentially think, like, we're never going to have electri- online voting unless we go to the ballot and vote for it. <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird paradox. <laughs> very very <laughs> weird amazing. paradox. Yeah, you got to start somewhere, I guess. Um, yeah, like, at some point you have to fight for a reality that that is not going to happen unless you personally fight for it. And we felt so disenfranchised because you, because it's so hard to vote. Um, we feel like, well, my vote doesn't really mean anything. And like, I'm so disconnected from politicians, but yeah, I hope I, I, I'm an optimist. So I believe that that's changing. So we'll see. Do you think that in 50 years, when 99% of the people who are over the age of 50 right now are dead, we will be able to do these things better as a people, as a country. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely get more progressive, as as you know, and as you're alluding to. So, yeah, I'm hoping that in 50 years we'll just be that much more progressive. Um, I, I think that, like, if I had to explain... Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent and ramble and expand the scope, which, is, which Eva always hates because it confuses the hell out of rational people. But, um... When I try to, I was thinking today, if I had to explain capitalism to like a fucking child, I wouldn't be able to, because to me it doesn't make sense. Like if I had to explain why I have a sales job, like why I do what I do, if I actually explain to a kid like what I do, it it's completely fucking meaningless to society. Like I don't add anything to society. Um, if the government worked correctly, theoretically my taxes would be going towards something that made society better, but like... But uh, I, uh, all salespeople, in my opinion, are useless cogs in a machine. We don't do anything constructive. Um, Eva, Eva was talking to me about this, how I think that salespeople are we're wasting our energy. Um, um, and I'll give you another example. Eva and I just bought a condo and our mortgage, we, we got a mortgage through a lender. Um, that lender then sells the mortgage to somebody else, and then they sa- sell it to somebody else. And there's like a whole business of selling and packaging and repackaging mortgages and there's like this dude dave divine all he does all day is buys and sells mortgages and it's like you're wasting all this energy not making society better like you're just a cog in this jerk off machine um and i think that I think in 50 years, to answer your question, I'm hoping that, like, kids like the Parkland High School kids, they see, like, oh, we can just vote to change gun laws? Like, well, what else can we vote to change? Why don't we vote to change, like, 5 million people working, like, stupid jobs that don't help people or, like, 
I don't know. I, I, I think that um, I'm well. I'm a socialist, so I believe that like we can we can have employee ownership essentially, or like collective ownership of things to mitigate risk, so that we have better insurance for everybody, and so that we're less worried about making money, and so that we can just like enjoy ourselves and and pursue passions and hobbies and friends and family. Um, so to end this super long rant, I think in 50 years we'll be in a place with um, no no stupid fucking capitalism and and no fucking voter registration. We'll all vote online. <laughs> rant over. Yeah. What if we could all choose where our taxes go? Like at the end of the year, you get a big checklist. Right. You can like check the things where you want your taxes to go, and then and then advertisers for, like, the different services would, like, advertise for you to donate money, to give money to their organization. Like, give money to the roads. Like, this is Jim Baker for road maintenance. Like, we think that you should give uh, your money to us this year so that we can take care of all these titles. And then, and then like, the military is doing ads and all that kind of stuff. What do you, you think that'll ever happen? That's a. I love that idea. That'd be that'd be a fun idea. I know. I know. I've heard that before. Of like, I don't want to pay for missiles. Why should my taxes pay for? I'd rather have it pay for schools. Um. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. I mean, unfortunately, yeah, because unfortunately, our our politicians aren't doing that for us. <laughs> Theoretically, that'd be the politician. But yeah, it's we live in a complicated world, so. Um, Very complicated. We're tackling some big questions here, Lee. That's true. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much waste. Like the the fact that there's like people who speculate in the stock market, or yeah, people who buy and sell mortgages all day. Um, it's like that. That's that's like a useful, productive, potentially a potentially productive person. That's just doing something that like doesn't make the world better, <laughs> you know. We're just we're just a generation of middlemen because that's where the money is. It's middlemen to middlemen. You know what I mean? Every it's never direct direct sales. It's like I'm a server, so my job is to know what we have and to ask the person what they want, and then I tell the people who make all the food what that person wants, and then when it's ready, I bring it to them. And, I mean, that's my job. I'm a middleman. I'm a middleman between the customer and the kitchen. I'm a middleman between the companies that produce the food mm-hmm. and the yeah, you're the a s- people who clean the ship pipes. Yeah, you're a surf. In, like, the sewer system. Yep. Like, in the lords and serfs, you're a surf. The only difference between now and 300 years ago is, like, working-class people fought for some rights 100 years ago that we still enjoy. Yeah, and I mean, our, li- our lives are better than the humans who have lived for 99.99% of all history before us. Mm-hmm. We have it cushier and more comfortable than anyone could have ever dreamed of. Like, this is the technological utopia that we wanted but it's also on the flip side of the coin a dystopia uh, very uh, Orwellian in 1984 and that kind of thing but we're kind of doing it voluntarily uh, so it's we're, we're living in a very weird time we're in the transition phase of the old world and the new world mm-hmm. yeah like what do what do banks do banks 
banks move money around and they take a little cut off the top. They skim a little off the top for themselves. The difference is they don't skim a little off the top. They skim, like, executives get bonuses of 30 and $40 million. And it's like, you're not that important. You're not doing anything that makes the world better. You're not fucking Nelson Mandela. Um, you don't need that 40 mil. It, this should be, like, if, if banks were employee-owned, and, like, think about a bank teller um, who's making 40 grand a year, like, that person isn't doing any more impactful work than, in the world than the CEO. You know, they're both just moving money around. One person just was born in a place that, that had better schooling, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you look at, at restaurants like Panera, who now have those, those uh, computer ordering systems, mm-hmm. I mean, middlemen, middlemen positions are slowly but surely being destroyed by the coming technological revolution, especially with AI on its way. I mean, that, that, I mean, there goes one job of the person at the counter. That's their, that middleman is gone. And, I mean, all of money is pretty much digital. Well, not all of money, but, mm-hmm. I mean, I work with digital money on my debit card. You know what I mean? Transfer without any cash. And I feel like most people do that, just wire transfers and all that stuff. So, I mean, there goes the bank. Like, eventually we'll just, we can all transfer our money just, you know, I use Venmo if you ever use anything like that, where you just send money from one person's bank account to another just by using their phone number. So, I mean, eventually we're not going to need banks to really monitor that as much as they are with, like, brick-and-mortar buildings now. But, shit, <laughs> a lot of these jobs are going to be gone pretty soon. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what our generation does then. Yeah, Totally. And also, self-driving cars are going to take away pretty much the entire manual trucking industry. Once in like you know seven years, it's going to be all self-driving trucks. And trucking is a fucking huge uh, employer of people, right? Uh, especially if, like uh, yeah, especially like you know loner people, people who I mean I'm not saying that like guys with families don't do trucking, but it's a it's a pretty solitary job. So, like, what are all those people going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, unfortunately, um, rich people have a track record of not giving a fuck. <laughs> True. So, but but fortunately, these days, more and more rich people give a fuck. You know, your Bill Gateses. So. Yeah, but who knows what goes on behind the scenes when you have people with that much money? Who yeah. Knows? Yeah, I think I think there are. I used to think that um, like every billionaire was was part of the conspiracy or whatever, or like was it an asshole. But now I realize if they were all like that, like we really would be in a lot worse shape. <laughs> um, like George George Soros is a billionaire who who was an unknown figure until the 2016 election, pretty much when when he became known for. Um, the deep pockets he would use to su- right he and he right and he would support democratic causes so he became like um, a yeah. topic of conspiracy theories from the right um, so George Soros is the reason we have an environmentalist movement in the world he completely funded and started the movement in the early 70s 
and he was like the sole lobbyist for it on an international level. Um, he okay. he is the he is the guy who funded Al Gore's entire career, and so like he's oh. the he's like the reason we talk about climate change, and he's a billionaire, and so like if it wasn't so like there are good people and and when i was a conspiracy guy he was one oh the environmentalist is a conspiracy and they're just trying to get your money and it's not really like that like he's really just a good guy who wants to save the planet <laughs> so thank god we have him interesting yeah 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 i didn't know too much about him just really the voting machine thing yeah so i think there is a fight going on amongst rich people but um but the rich, evil people, part of their fight tactic is to suppress the voice of, of poor people. So, as you know. Yeah. Well, like I was saying before, we're richer than 99% of all the people that ever lived right now, even though, you know, putting it in perspective of billionaires, we're extremely poor. But in our own way, we are rich. Um. Yeah, you and I, I mean, white white male Americans are, or, like, American citizens are, but... Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Just, like, we were, we just happened to be born here under these circumstances. Mm. I was thinking a cool, maybe a, either, like, not a Black Mirror episode because it's not technology-based, but, um, like, a dystopian alternative present where, um, I, well, I was thinking about the immigration thing and how these, these DACA dreamer kids you know, who who live their whole life in the United States and all of a sudden have to get, like, deported to Mexico or whatever. I was thinking, like, yeah. man, I wish I wish Trump just said, um, you know what, the immigration problem's so bad that if, if your parents or grandparents came from another country, like, we're going to have to make you go, too. Because, because that would mean, like, my my family would potentially... Like, I would love to have there for there to be a scenario where my Italian-American family had to had to think about getting deported. Because, like, people... If you, like, if you would come here illegally. Um, well, that's the thing. Like, my, my grandfather came here legally, but, but he came here the same way that a Mexican person would. He fucking walked here, essentially. Like, but at the time, it was legal to walk here. Now it's not. And so, like, the right. be the behavior didn't change. Just the fucking laws changed. And, like, that's bullshit. Like, I don't know. I, I, I would like for people to see the hypocrisy, you know? And that just being born, like, being born somewhere is random. And, like, that's unfair that some people should have less rights than others just because of where they're born. Yeah, I saw a, a funny article on uh, on Facebook and it said, it was a real article that said Harvard, uh, like Harvard professor is growing like indoor weed and like expects to turn it into like a $50 million company. And some guy commented, he's like, damn, like my friend Randy got put in jail for that like three weeks ago. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, you just, it's, it's like, you know, there's so much privilege, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Holy, I tell you. Yep. Um, so you think uh, reptilians are secretly ruling the world? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, well, I've I've a couple. Do you think that's what the Illuminati secret is? The aliens? No. And that's what like all these. That's what like it all comes back to is that there's aliens here. No, here's the biggest. The big secret is that 
banks make money doing nothing. And like and like <laughs> insurance companies yeah. make money doing nothing. And so like the conspiracy theory, I have a couple friends who are still big conspiracy theory guys and we get into it. And they're like, no, you see, yeah. they, they, it's better for them when there's war. Like when, when they're, when oh, we're constantly at war, they profit. Therefore, they always want war. And I'm like, guess what, motherfucker? They profit during peacetime. Like during peacetime, our economy is set up for the rich to get richer. So like. What happens is, like, we're fucking you over anyway, and when a war comes, great, we're just fucking you over quicker. Like, yeah, they make money no matter what. And it's not a conspiracy. It's, like, just the way, just the way banking works. So that's what I realized. It's not a conspiracy. It's just that rich, powerful people have been trying to keep it that way for since the beginning of time. I think it's the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably the aliens. Fuck it. Yeah, probably yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but seriously, like, why the fuck haven't the aliens just been like, we're here? Um, I think that they are here. Like on this call? Yeah, they can right now. No, we're not. So what do you mean they're here? Are they disguised like us, or are they dolphins, or are they invisible, or what? Um, I mean, throughout the, the years, I've, I've read so many different, just, like, random online, like, articles and, like, photos, and, like, you know, that whole rabbit hole um, of, like, the ancient aliens and then, like, all, like, the, this man, like, used to work at Area 51 and, like, and he's like, whoa, when I was working there, we had three, and, like, so, you know, stuff like that, and um, there's this one video of the, uh, the former defense minister of Canada, Mm -hmm. Um, and he, he like did a press conference and was like, yeah, there's like several species of aliens that we're in contact with and have been in contact with. And he's like, the government just needs to like, just come out with it and just say it. And it's, you can, you can look that video up on YouTube. And, uh, I love, I mean, obviously there's different levels of everything, but one of the things that I love, who knows if it's true, is that what we, the reason that we never went back to the moon is because there's, um, a surveillance base on the back of the moon, like surveilling Earth. Right. Um, and when we went there, like uh, some aliens or whatever came out, we're like, yo, get the fuck out of here. Do not come back here. Don't tell anyone or we'll like, you know, blow your planet up or something. Yeah, we'll fucking vaporize um, you. Yeah, and there's like, there's videos like of like ex-NASA guys like saying stuff like that. And it's like there's so many, just like so many weird things. And like, I've, I've seen stuff. I have a picture that I uploaded to Facebook um, maybe like uh, four years ago. Um, I just saw this giant uh, black square floating in the sky and I got a picture of it and oh, cool. it on Facebook. Um, I, was, I was driving on one of the highways up here and uh, it was just like a nice clear day in the spring, I think. Um, and I come around this corner and I'm going like, you know, 60. It's a, a two-lane highway, one way. And in the sky, like, really high up, I just see this big, black, like, square, like a, a cube. And it's just, like, real high up, very pronounced hmm. in the sky, just a big, black square in the sky. And I'm just like, what, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at it, and I got my phone out, and I took a picture of it, and I'm looking at it high up there, like, it's not attached to anything. It's clearly 
unnatural. It's just like a big black square that's Fuck. in the sky. Like, I'm just looking at this thing, and I took the picture, and it's, uh, I, can, I look at it all the time, and I'm like, Jesus, what the fuck is that? Wow. And I'm driving, and I'm looking at it, and it's not moving. It's very high up. Um, and I come around like a, a turn, and the trees kind of get in the way, and then I come back out, and it's gone. And that was it. And that was, that was definitely one of the craziest things I've ever seen. People are like, well, maybe it was like a, a tent that blew away. Like, no, it was definitely not a tent that blew away. Like, it was a giant black square in the sky. <laughs> like, I, I have no explanation for that. So, I don't know. I don't know. It's got to be something. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fucking freaky, dude. I agree. Has to be something. Yeah, super freaky. And, and who knows? You know what I mean? Everyone is just born onto this planet and given the answers to things from the people who were born on this planet, you know, 30 or 40 years before us. Then nobody really knows what's going on. We're trying our best to figure it out. Um, but, you know, we've been wrong about every single thing in the past. So to think that we're not wrong about the majority of our perceptions of reality at this point in our history is probably incorrect. Yeah, we did just find a new muscle. Or a new organ, rather. See that? Yeah, the whole, like, the connected yeah. thing in your... Yeah. It's like, what else haven't you fucking discovered? Yeah, exactly. And, like, they don't even really know how, like, depression medicine works. Like, they, they, like, sort of understand how, like, those things work to, yeah. like, regulate chemicals, but, like, not really. They just know that it works. Like, we're, we're just doing all this stuff. We've introduced, like, 20,000 different chemicals since 1950 into, like, the human, uh, like, biosphere. Wow. Uh, and just have no, no long-term studies about any of these chemicals affect us. And, like, we wonder why we're getting all this cancer and autism and, mm -hmm. like, oh, it's the vaccines. Like, it's probably not the vaccines. It's probably all the chemicals that you're coming into contact with every single day from before you're born to forever. So. Yeah. Uh, and just, nobody has any idea what's going on. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens in the near future. Yeah, like, with the fucking nuclear testing in the 50s, they would just, like bomb the shit out of Bikini Atoll in the Pacific, and they're like, but that's the water over there. It's different than the water over here. They'll never mix. <laughs> yeah, seriously, dude. It's, it's nuts, man. We're just, like, going ham on the Earth. It's like, yeah, let's try this. Let's <laughs> yeah. See all these weird little, like, creatures running around? Let's, like, test our products on them. Yes. Let's see what happens when we, like, chop, like, alter their brains. Like, whoa, that's interesting. It's, it's so weird. Fuck them. Let the next guy worry yeah, about it. Yeah, fuck Wow. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, yeah. let the next guy worry about it. Good luck, future self. That's what I always say. Whenever <laughs> I'm, uh, whenever I'm doing something stupid, like spending money on something that yeah. I, I probably shouldn't, or just doing anything like like that, I'm just like, well, good luck, future self. That's hilarious. Oh, and you need need to open a new credit card. Well, good luck, future self. Have fun with that. And the other side of that beautiful coin is always blaming your past self, uh, <laughs> or blame, yeah, yeah. or blame, <laughs> or, or blaming your parents. Um, I always like uh, blaming blaming uh, London, blaming England for for our problems. <laughs> yeah, damn you! Like the Arab-Israeli conflict, like just blame England. They have they have plenty to take. Yeah, colonial assholes. Oh yeah. Um, Hey, here's here's a little tidbit. Here's a little factoid. Something I never thought about. Do you ever notice? Uh -huh. Do you ever notice that um, 
Um, what's the deal with airline food? Do you ever notice that colonies that the Spanish uh, occupied have a lot of brown people still? And the former colonies that Britain occupied doesn't have a lot of brown people anymore? You ever notice that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Um, but I feel like I feel like a lot of the people throughout history were different colors than we would think. You know what I mean? Like, it just, everything evolves. So, I mean, like, everyone, like, you know, people think about Jesus as, like, a white guy. And, like, he definitely was not white. He was definitely brown-skinned. Um, right. And I just feel like everyone in our, in the, like, primarily white, like, America thinks that everyone in history was white. But in reality, most people in history were not white. I don't think that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, well, I mean, educated people don't think that. But most people are just don't delve that deep into thought <laughs> to well, think about these things. Well, do you know Do you know why uh, former Spanish colonies still have a lot of brown people? Because they didn't kill everybody? Yeah! <laughs> yeah, like, Brit <laughs> the British were, like, particularly awful to Native Americans. Um, yeah. So, like, most Catholic... I mean, most Spanish colonies were filled with Catholic missionaries, and these priests and nuns were like, we actually want to convert you. Like, we're actually here to, to like, convert people, and so we'll actually take some time yeah. to, like, learn about your customs. We're not going to murder the shit out of you. Whereas the British were like, rah, rah. <laughs> see ya. Yeah. I guess the Spanish were like, hey, can we live here too? And the British were like, hey, uh, can you guys not live here anymore? <laughs> yeah, and so like every 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 war that the British won, um, like in that time, like the uh, the Seven Years War, eh, we won. The French and Indian War, eh, we won. Like the, the Spanish-American War, eh, we won. Uh, the Louisiana Purchase, oh, we got that. 1812, we won. Every one of those victories was, like, awful for Native Americans. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> Things just got worse. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's tough. It's hard out it's, here. Uh, it's just like, um, like all the, the medical experiments that the Nazis did. Like, mm -hmm. do we discount all the knowledge that was gained from those because they're immoral? Mm -hmm. It's like that kind of, that kind of thing, like... It was awful, but the what 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 was gained from it was it worth it? Uh, that's you know that's for the individual to decide, I guess. I heard on a podcast that we um, the American science community or the international science community really picked and chose which German sciences they adapted after World War II. So, like, weapons technology, they were like, fucking come on over. Like, oh, you can help bomb things? Werner, Werner von Braun, come over here. Yeah. We love you. Exactly. But then, the Germans were doing a ton of nutrition research, like the fact that um, a high-cholesterol diet doesn't lead to high cholesterol in your bloodstream, um, and that, like, high carbs lead to high cholesterol. They were doing all that research, and American science community was like, eh, we don't want any of that. That's not going to make us money or kill people. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy what the, what, like, the Third Reich was trying to do, and, like, 
it's crazy what they accomplished, you know, regardless of how evil it was, just that, like, that that happened, is that, like, Hitler was able to rally that many people and just take over all that stuff, and, like, all the, the stuff of the occult that he did, and all the medical experiments, and just, like, murdering so many, you know, mm-hmm. millions and millions and millions of people just, like, in the semi-modern age. Mm-hmm. Like, that is so crazy. And, I mean, borders have been pretty static since mm-hmm. then. Um, obviously, there's been, like, Russia, like, invading, where they invade, uh... Afghanistan? Chechnya or something, I don't know. Oh, yeah, Chechnya, yeah, yeah, yeah totally, but, Chechnya, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, but, I mean, the borders of the, the developed world have been pretty static, and, I mean, I don't really know what could change them at this point other than, like, total nuclear war, Yeah, which is definitely not out of the question, but, you know... I forget what the what the beginning of this conversation was. Um, well, you were. T- I think that is interesting. All the the um, the mixed impact of 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 Hitler and the Nazis. Yeah, so much awfulness. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've been thinking about this, like the way the way that people um, overcome um, difficulties in life, and the way that you the way that you get better as a person or you get better as a society is that like when, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. So like when, when life throws shit at you, you, you work to overcome it and you become stronger so that it doesn't happen in the future. And so like, I think one of the great things that came out of world war two is we had this like 60 year opposition to fascism where it's like, okay, like no more fucking fascism and like no more anti-Semitism. And we had like a good long run of that. I feel like that, that came as a reaction to the awfulness and it's, um, unfortunately wearing off a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, we had this, we had this run where it's like fascism, bad fascism, bad. And now people are like, is fascism bad? It's like, do you not remember? (laughs) Yeah, like maybe we need someone to tell us what to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, well, that's part of me. Like I was saying, with the the um, making people feel uncomfortable with getting deported, um, like make it worse. Like I would love for Trump to fucking like. In a way, I'm thinking like just make it worse. Piss off more people. Make it like increase the amount of injustice for people. Uh, or for the amount, for the percentage of people that are facing injustice, and maybe then we'll start to see the ridiculousness of all of it? Oh. Yes, to, to be able to, to spark the change. Yeah, like, my mom won't support Planned Parenthood until we make it a law where no one's allowed to get an abortion. You know, like, because she doesn't understand that, like, by, by, res- by not funding Planned Parenthood, we're only making abortions unavailable to poor people. We're not making abortions unavailable, like, Eva can still get one, but if if Eva and, and my sister can't get one anymore, then maybe my mom would finally realize, like, oh, this is, this should be, like, a choice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. We have a very uh, Republican government right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's like, all right, you got four years to do whatever, like, what you want, what you can get past. Yeah. And that's what's happening, and, like, so much shit is changing, and people are like, oh, what, what could change in four years? But, I mean, it's uh, it's, it's getting pretty uh, crazy right now. 
like that with like the EPA like regulations mm -hmm. being rolled back, and it's just like, wait, uh, wait, what? Maybe we, you know, wait, what? <laughs> so it's it's kind of a it's like as it goes along, it's just getting more and more ridiculous, and it's like, how can you not take a second to step back and and see that ridiculousness? Yeah. And I think it's I think it's easier to undo laws and to undo regulations than it is to build and add new stuff, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm pretty sure that like most of the good stuff that comes in our country like comes from adding things rather than taking things away. <laughs> um like I don't know. I yeah, look at all the amendments. <laughs> exactly. Yes. We don't take away amendments. We add. We add stuff to amend them. Exactly. We add more liberties and add more more protections. Um, we don't really take them away. And but but like Republican politics these days is about taking things away, and that's kind of easy to do. So yeah, scary. Yeah. Yeah, like banks yeah, are. I mean most. Yeah, banks are getting deregulated. Um, uh, health services for women being deregulated. Mm. Yeah, it's like everyone's dying. Like, can we put money towards education so people know what to do to keep themselves from dying so easily? Uh, no, we're going to cut education and put more money into the military so we can protect a country that can't take care of itself. Right. And a country like Denmark understands that education's important because I can't have idiots running around my country. Like, that makes it harder for me to live a luxurious life when there's fucking idiots everywhere. <laughs> yep. Like, I feel like the rich people in this country want Gotham City. We're like, there's super rich people in, like, a super crime-ridden city. <laughs> yeah, and they don't care because they're not, they're not in it. Yeah, they're in their fucking gilded cages for sure. Um... I was having this argument with a coworker, and I'm like, just because you make five, like, if you make five million dollars right now, like, you're not, you wouldn't be any less happy if you were only allowed to make two million dollars. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be less motivated to do greatness, and you wouldn't be less happy with your life. And he was like, Nah, see, I would be. Um, he was like, I would complain about that, or like, I would be unhappy. And I was like, Yeah, but you don't hear anybody in fucking Denmark complaining. You know, you really yeah, I mean, you just find other other revenue streams. If you could, if you have a, a salary cap on one thing, you can do another thing, and you know, reach that same cap. But yeah, the, the disparity between CEO pays and employee pays is insane, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think employee ownership yeah, is I the mean, answer. No. Give everyone a little piece. Oh, you go. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I think employee ownership is the answer I was saying. Give everyone a little piece. Yeah, like, it's kind of like owning stock, but not really because there's still a board of directors who do everything. But, yeah, it's like, it, nobody really knows the answer. People, people preach like they know what the right thing to do is, but we still haven't figured out. I, I mean, 1776 is when, it, when, you know, the Declaration of Independence was signed, and we still haven't figured out how to effectively run a country of now 300 million people and, like, there's one guy in charge? Like, there's one guy in charge? Uh, that, that's, how, how is one guy going to know the answer to all these different things for 300 million people living mm. in America? That's crazy. 
and it's it's so bloated now, and nobody knows what to do. And you have the two main parties, which is stupid insanity <laughs> to have just two parties representing three hundred million people. But there's liberal and conservative, and it, the the categories are so narrow, and it's so at this point in two thousand eighteen, it just seems so barbaric. Like, oh, well, you're either you either want this or you want that. But there's three hundred million people in this country. That's unprecedented in our history. So nobody's going to know what to do. And everybody's just trying different random things, and they, they, we haven't figured it out yet. So, mm-hmm. um, Have you ever heard of ranked choice voting? No. It's pretty phenomenal. It was invented by a mathematician, I believe, in Denmark or possibly Sweden, and maybe Sweden. And it was like implemented like two years later in the Swedish parliament. They're like, oh, a good idea. Let's do it. Versus this country, oh, that's a tradition. Um, so it was ranked choice. Yeah, <laughs> um, ranked choice voting. Yeah, it was invented by this mathematician and political scientist, and it's essentially where you can you can vote for more than one person for a position, and you rank them. So, if you take the twenty sixteen election for example, let's say I really love Bernie Sanders. Um, I'm I'm. I'm okay with Hillary, and I hate Trump. What I would do in a ranked choice voting system is I would give a full vote um, to, to Bernie Sanders, and I would give a half vote to Clinton, and I would give no vote to Trump. And so what would happen is after you tally up everyone's votes, um, like what happened in this election, like Trump would get the most first-place votes, but Hillary's first-place votes plus her second-place votes would put her on top of Trump because people won't feel discouraged from voting for their favorite candidate. You can still vote for your favorite candidate, but then you can also have an insurance vote because you have a feeling that that candidate is not going to win. Yeah. It works incredibly well. It works so well, and it's so easy, and states are starting to do it. I think Maine is going to do it for their, their governor or or, so, or something like that, but it is fucking happening, dude. Like, it's a revolution. Um, I joined this group, Represent Us, in Colorado, and we're starting to do it at the local level. Um, so that that's going to be, like, a huge step, and it has bipartisan support. Like, everyone is for it. It increases competition. Yeah, I mean, how could you how could you not like that? Right, and even even lo- even um, lobbyists and and big donors are okay with it because they're like, hey, we'll keep pumping money into this fucking election system. Whoever wins, like it's just one more politician to feed. Like they don't really care. So it's a, it's a pretty good system. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm really really excited about it. So ranked choice voting. We got to get rid of voter voter registration, and uh, I think that's a good start. Do it online. Yeah, get that get that rank system online, and we'll be good to go. Yeah, I really think employee ownership is the answer because um, it, it's a form of socialism. I mean, socialism can be right wing or left wing. Like uh, socialism can be authoritarian, where it comes from a centralized place, and that would be like that would be like if uh, New Belgium Brewery or Sam Adams Brewery was owned by the government. And that sounds pretty fucking shitty. That sounds like Soviet Russia. That is not what I want. And that's what most people think of when they think of socialism. But that's only authoritarian socialism. The other option is libertarian socialism, where New Belgium Brewery is employee-owned. 
so the the government doesn't own it, but a collection of people that that you could maybe that would be big enough for a government, but they're just a collection of people that live in the same place who have mutually agreed um, to work together and to share the profits. And it works incredibly well for New Belgium Brewery and like hundreds of other employee stock ownership programs like that is the answer it's it's libertarian socialism where everyone gets a piece of the pie and and the ceo of new belgium still makes like over a million dollars a year like she's still doing great so it's a win-win so is that so with that employee ownership does every employee who works for the company um inherently get an ownership stake or is it just like a select few of the people who initially started it decide who gets the stake how does that work Every company is different, but with New Belgium, um, you you are guaranteed employee stock ownership um, if you are with the company at least one full year. So after on your 366th day of employment, you start a vesting schedule where you get like a few shares every week or every month, and it accrues slowly and slowly. And then after six years. Um, you're vested, where you can you can start using that money if you want, um, but then it continues accruing after that. So folks at the brewery 25 years have tons of money. Folks who've been with the brewery six years have a little bit of money, but everyone gets money that's instead crazy. of it funneling up. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. Why doesn't everywhere do that? <laughs> because uh, right, exactly because because. Since the beginning of time, we've been we've been um, we've been controlled by people who own the 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 resources and the means to production, and they trick us and they manipulate us into keeping it going. When it's like, fuck you, dude. I want a piece. Yeah, that's awesome. Just getting yeah, just accumulating shares. It makes it gives you a reason to care about the the fate of the company and not just of your own employment. Yeah, and then when the CEO says, like, we're a family and we care about you, you can believe it, like, 15% more. You're like, oh, yeah, you kind of do. Yeah. So that's, that's the future, man. I think those are, those are some, good, some good cornerstones that we discussed. I agree. Mm. So, um... Should we end this with uh, movie talk or save that for later? Or, or should we rant about uh, opioids? What do you want to do? Oh, jeez. Those are some, some, uh, some different categories there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I'll leave it up to dealer's choice here. <sighs> I guess I should, I should run through these movies real quick. Sure. Have you seen? Uh, you you haven't seen Black Panther? No, I have not seen it. Ooh, child. Well, it's a good one. <laughs> I'll say it's a good one. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, I saw it three times. Like I said, Movie Pass makes it easy, but yeah, I saw it three times. Yeah, definitely. Um, super cool. Yeah, that Movie Pass is sweet. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I, I definitely I, I wouldn't call Black Panther a perfect movie. I don't want people to think that because I saw it three times, I think it's the best movie I've seen. I just it was convenient, but yeah, I, I really liked it. Did you did you see Get Out? Yeah, that was great. I saw, I did see that in theaters. Oh, 
Dude, I saw it on an airplane, and it was so much fun. Like, I had to stay really silent, and my mouth is open. I'm looking around like, oh, my God. That was great. Yeah, that movie was absolutely insane. Um, do you... Uh, a lot of people don't remember r- random details from a movie from a year ago, but um, do you... Uh, I didn't realize this until after the movie. Uh, I was reading about the significance of the deer. Like, there's a deer theme throughout the movie. Yeah, he, he you know, kills him with the, the antlers. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he, right, he kills the dude with the antlers. Um, earlier in the movie, when... Uh, um, He's the dead deer, yeah. Right, he kills the... He kill, well, wait, what did he do? Wait, what dead deer? Right, he hit the deer with his car. Right, hit the deer with his car. Um, when when the mom character is hypnotizing him, there's the deer on the wall. Yep. Um, there also like, um, the the idea of like running running scared like a deer in headlights and like the ideal of, like, having to run away, I don't know, I felt like there was kind of a connection there. Yeah, I see that. Um, and also, the, the fucking, the, the random old, the, the black dude who's really, um, housing a, an old man inside of him, um, the dude does, like, a yeah, random, yeah. he does, like, sprinting exercises in the middle of the night for some reason. Oh, yeah. Um, Those that, that was very deer-like, you know? Yeah. I also yeah, definitely. I also never I didn't put it together that um the the main the the family patriarch, the old man who was the first one to to do this uh kind of brain transfer surgery, he wanted to be in a black guy's body because he lost to Jesse Owens. Did you pick up on that? Yeah. Yep, yep. I was I, mean, like, I, I watched all like the I watched a bunch of videos of like all like the subtle themes and stuff, so I I've seen most of the most of like the theories and uh, those kind of things, but they're all really interesting, and it just makes you appreciate the movie even more. Oh my god, so fucking good! You, and and how about the cotton? He packs his ears with cotton at the end. Yep. Yeah, that's great from the chair. Yes. Um. Yeah, I. Yeah, uh, it's an amazing movie. So original. The other thing I liked, I was listening to a a, a, a film critic talk about it, Wesley Morris. Um. And he's he's a gay black guy, so he always has an interesting perspective. Um, and he was saying that the the lacrosse player um, son character. Um, he was talking about that in a conversation with with two other um, film critics who were white, and the white film critics thought that that lacrosse player character was really out of place and was a little too extreme. And Wesley Morris, the black film critic, was like, I'm going to stop you right there. He was like, that guy is so typical. He was like, I know that guy so well. Like, the, <laughs> the creepy, overly aggressive white lacrosse player guy who, like, talks about your body in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. So I thought that was cool. Um, so was he, a, was, he, was, he a gay, was he a gay black guy or was he a black gay guy? Ooh, it was definitely a twofer. Um, I don't know. I would. I. I would call him. 
I think his blackness and his gayness take equal status. Yeah, I think he's a blay, 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 gack. Blay gay. Blay gay. Um, yeah, very interesting guy, Wesley Morris. Um, so I'm guessing yeah, you, cool. you. I'm guessing you didn't see the post or I Tanya or the Greatest Showman, all of which I've seen. Nope. Well, let me tell you, society. sir. Um, the post was cool. The post was about um, the Washington Post in the seventies. Damn, I thought it was about a fence post. Um, no, no, that was that was uh, that was the link. That's the post. That's the postman. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Having cop there. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um. Yeah, it was pretty good. The post, Meryl Streep, crushing it. Um. It was a. It was like a pretty like straightforward storyline, but um. Yeah, that was pretty good. I, 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 I'll give that a solid recommend. The Post, Spielberg directed. Okay. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Tanya, I thought was super cool. Are you familiar with the I, Tanya? I am not. I, Tanya is, um, it's the, the Tanya Harding story. Um, it's, it's filmed. Oh, why? Why? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, the movie is filmed like a like a fake documentary. It's filmed like a biopic, or, or yeah, like a documentary where they're gathering interviews from Tanya Harding. But Tanya Harding is played by Margot Robbie, um, so it's a, dr- a dramatized oh. kind of mockumentary almost, like because. Yeah, that's a nice leg you got there. Be ashamed if somebody piped it. Right, right. Pipe up. Um, it's. <laughs> I found it interesting because because it's not factually correct. Like they they portray the the movie as if Tanya Harding didn't know what was going to happen, and she totally fucking knew. Like she absolutely knew. Oh yeah. Based on the evidence, but this movie plays it off, they, they, they make it a documentary kind of like as if she were telling it or if she were making the documentary. So, um, you know, she lies and you, you the, the movie is set up where you believe her, um, where she had nothing to do with it. But I also think, so I think it's cool because it's like from her perspective, it's like a mind's eye view of, of what a documentary would be like. And she's like super white yeah. trash, Tanya Harding. So she's like a very interesting character. Um, but it's it's also a story about about spousal abuse, and it's a story about how like women get fucking treated like shit in this society. And I'm I'm a I'm I'm more of a feminist than I've ever been. I'm I'm big into this now. But it's about how like this woman like grew up in an awful poor life with an awful poor mom, and went to an awful poor abusive boyfriend, and um, didn't have a lot of agency in her life, and. She turned into like an asshole, um, and a lot of and not a very likable person. But it paints, I think, a very sympathetic view of her as a person who didn't have a lot of agency in her life and kind of a tragic figure. Yeah, it makes sense. And like, there's a ton of denim, a ton of denim and cigarette smoking, which is awesome. <laughs> that's like uh, that's like uh, Mike Tyson. How if you hear the story of him telling how. When he bit Evander Holyfield's ear, how Holyfield was like headbutting him, 
like these really quick little headbutts when they get close, mm. and the ref couldn't see it, and he started to black out because he was getting headbutted. So he got really pissed off and just like bit his ear off. Oh wow! Huh? I forgot about that. Yeah, too. yeah. If you listen to the Mike Tyson story, he's like, he just kept headbutting me, and I, I started blacking out because he he just kept hitting me, and the ref wasn't saying nothing. I started getting mad, and I started getting real mad, and I freaking just bit his ear. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he had anger problems. Yeah. I mean, he had a pretty insane uh, history before boxing. He would, like, break into people's houses and, like, rob people. Like, he was a bad dude. Wow. Right, he got, like, sent to upstate New York to learn boxing and to not break into people's houses, right? Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty crazy. Damn. Well, uh... I'll, I think I might. I got some more movies to talk about, but maybe I'll talk about them next time. I'll leave leave the people wanting more, you know. Yeah, we're at, we're at two hours and five minutes right now. Ooh, some smoking hot pod. Yeah, that's our, our by far our longest pod, I think. Yeah. Well, got a lot got a lot to cover, my friend. Yeah, it's been it's been too long. It's been one week since we pod and cast. All right. <laughs> Oh, what a fucking song. Yep. The good old 90s. Well, um, we should do this again uh, very soon, right? Yeah, I mean, I liked when we were doing them weekly. Um, My schedule is a little crazy coming up to the three-civil in like like five or six weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Six weeks, I guess, which is pretty crazy. Uh, no, less than that. I don't know. I'm fucking high. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely we'll definitely get something in before that that all goes down. All right, that sounds good. Um, well, you got any uh, other closing words for us this evening? Uh... <laughs> that's all. Oh, good. All right, well, I guess that's all. That's all for the uh, the unnecessary podcast for this. That was some good pod there, Lee. Yeah, it's a very good pod. All right, let's uh, let's get some tunage to play us out here. Let's see what we got. Yeah, so play me out here. I'm thinking something. Even I won't be able to hear it. <laughs> I can hear that.